stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome to Administrative Static, and I'm here with uh, my colleague, Greg Dolan, who has uh, argued, argued uh, Reed versus JMU um, in, uh, in uh, the Fourth Circuit, and we just got a ruling, Greg. We got a ruling yesterday morning at 9 a.m., which was a nice way to start today, uh, because we won. Uh, um, the Fourth Circuit reversed the judgment below, which dismissed uh, our client's claims. And um, the reason it did so is because uh, it essentially held JMU to its own words. The big dispute. So this is kind of an initial procedural skirmish. Yeah, I guess I guess we should say this. This we, we've talked about this before. But this is a Title IX case um, where our client was um, a debate coach, basically, and um, she uh, was in a consensual. Um, Committed, you know, monogamous relationship yeah, with a, with another, and then uh, that broke up, and all these accusations came out. But she didn't get due process. There's all kinds of things in the complaint, but the reason that it was dismissed was they said the claim came too late. Right, and so the issue was, hey, when is the final decision of the organization uh, that she should know about, and has she filed the case? Within time, right? But even even that issue in and of itself, uh, but signifies kind of the abuse of administrative power because university, on one hand, they, in order to avoid any litigation over lack of procedures, create these sort of elaborate procedures with internal appeals and it's sure it's it's employees that you you know you're going to get all these hearings, but then as soon as uh, litigation started. They asked the courts to ignore all of those words in their own complaints and said that, well, no, it's the interim judgments and interim decisions kind of said. Ignore in, in, their own, in their own policies. In their own policies. Yes. And um, the big debate was whether kind of the interim decision was started the clock ticking on the statute of limitation or the ultimate rejection of our client's appeal. And even though university policy said, you know, the decision is not final and still amenable to review and modification, both to increase and decrease the penalties. Um, not until, so the provost decides, as soon as we filed the complaints, I'm like, no, 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 the provost is kind of this irrelevant figure, figurehead, it only matters what the, the dean of the school, so the lower rank, ranking official decides. And ultimately, we're gratified, I think, and I was gratified that the Fourth Circuit said that, you know, university may be able to structure its review process how it wants to structure its review process, but it can't play heads, they win, tails, you lose games. So they held them to their own um to their own policy and to the words then on their own letters that they sent to our client. Right. And I, uh, you know, I've been in this case for a while and I uh, was wondering about that because in this Title IX, the, the way statute of limitations work for certain federal, I guess we should tell people this, the way they work for a lot of federal claims, particularly in the civil rights area, is that the statute of limitations is not, the federal government doesn't tell you what it is. In your state, whatever the analogous uh, cause of action is, you have that period of time. Right. And, um, and so in Virginia, it's two years, but in other states, it could be three or one or four years. Right. 
Right. And so the the then the question but but the 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 federal government does apply its own rules for figuring out when things start and when they stop, right. that sort of thing. So in this case, um, you know, the government put in the kitchen sink in defense and then they found this, oh, you're too late for, for doing this. And um, they had a uh, actual an actual um, uh, policy manual that said the final rule, the, the final um, uh, uh, decision is by the provost. Right. And they just ran away from it for years and years. Oh, that means nothing. Pay no attention to these written words. The other thing that always bothered me about this case was the fact that under Virginia law, you had to give six months notice before you filed the lawsuit yes. to the state. And so, uh, you know, we had done that on behalf of our clients. So they knew it was coming six, actually more like, I forget, seven, eight, nine months before right. we, you know, we had given them uh, the notice. So that's right. Cause it would have been dismissed. If we didn't give the notice, it would have been dismissed for that reason. That's right. So, so you have to, you're caught, sort of caught in a bind. You have to give the notice. I mean, what if the, the client just comes to you, you know, uh, at that, you know, uh, even they come to you five months before the time for the statute of limitations to run, you've got to give the notice and then you can't file until the statute of limitations run. That would be an interesting question. It would be. So um, in, in any event, so I do think that uh, – but but why was this a hard question for the district court? What what was going on here? So I don't think it was a hard question for the district court. I think district court just, you know, with all respect to the court, I think they just got it uh, – the judge just got it wrong. Um, so one thing is uh, – and again, so this uh, kind of patting NCLA on our own back – Fourth Circuit did not have binding precedent on this issue. They had a couple of non-presidential cases. And so, to be fair to the district court, the guidance was somewhat lacking. Explain what that means. So, as any appellate court, you know, the Fourth Circuit gets thousands and thousands of appeals. And some are harder and some are, you know, frivolous. And and a bunch of them are in between. And so, sometimes to resolve— And and they don't publish all of them. And they don't publish all, right. And so, to resolve cases that are kind of on the lower end of the spectrum, the ones that are not— particularly important, the court, they will issue an opinion. They will issue a judgment that will say, you win and you lose. Um, uh, you win and you lose, and here are the reasons. But it's not important enough to become a president of the court. Um, and so those opinions are kind of lower value. Uh, our case, ultimately, was issued as a 3-0 presidential opinion. So now the district courts in the Fourth Circuit will have better guidance. And so to be fair to a district court, I think they still got it wrong, but it was not well guided by the prior president in the Fourth Circuit. Right. And so this will be in the F-fourths now? F-fourths now, F-4th yeah. F-fourths now. <laughs> I nearly said the F-third, which I think I've just gotten used to. Um, but in, in any event, um, exactly. So there's a rule in the Fourth Circuit. A lot of the circuits that unpublished opinions are not precedential. Um, although you'd have to be a, a pretty bold district court judge to go against a, a panel ruling on point. But I, they, they, all the facts differ in these right. cases because the rules of the various schools differ, right? right. Um, they can say that this organization is the final uh, rule and and this is final wherever they want to do it, and that's that's going to be the answer. Right. Court, courts won't say this, but one of the things that you, if you watch courts long enough, you get the feeling that sometimes the un, the decisions that they don't make precedential are ones where they're a little bit of a one-off, 
and they say, you know, we just we really don't want the statute of limitations to run in this, given all the facts here. Mm-hmm. We really think this one ought to be able to go forward, but we're not going to publish the opinion, so it's not precedential for the next case that comes along. I don't think they should do that. I think that's one of the arguments for not treating published and unpublished decisions differently as a precedential matter. But I do think, and I don't know what the rule is in the Fourth Circuit, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do think there's some risk of that sort of, call it gamesmanship, if you will. There's that, but I think ultimately, kind of, there's two ways of looking at the decision that came down yesterday. One was to say that, look, this is just a small skirmish about this kind of maybe a one-off, even though they published it, uh, but, um, it, you know, just about Reed and JMU. But I think a bigger and a better way of looking at it is there's a reason they published it, and it's because, we're kind of to end where I started, that they do, university says some things, or organization, doesn't have to be university, but government says a bunch of things. They should be held to what they say, right? So when, as, as the old saying goes, when dealing with the government, citizens should turn square corners. But the same applies in reverse. When dealing with citizens, government should turn square corners. And they said final decision happens at stage X. In litigation, they shouldn't say, well, it's at stage X minus one. I never heard the square right. corners uh, uh, statement Justice before. Holmes. I did not know that. Um, so so I... Uh, this this will be um, precedential, and obviously, um, statute of limitations isn't fun for everybody. But boy, it impacts what we do and what what litigators do. They're always you, you're always looking at that. Almost when someone walks in the door, exactly. Well, when does this have to be filed by? Right. And sometimes statute of limitations are very short. If memory serves, for example, when you claim employment discrimination, you have to go first to EEOC, and once they give you a right to sue letter, mm-hmm. I think you only have six months to file. So. Yeah. So, and by then you have to file a law, find a lawyer, et cetera. So statute of limitations are very important, but you can't cut them even shorter than they already are. Yeah, 30, 30 days in Magnuson-Stevenson Act, as I always yeah. say, for a regulation. So, yeah, it can go pretty quick. So um, so what happens now? Well, uh, like I said, it's we haven't yet gotten to the to the substance of the issue. We're just at the, we were at the motion to dismiss state. The court, uh, the Fourth Circuit, of course, remanded it to the district court. The government still has, the university still has additional arguments to dismiss that were not addressed at the first go around. And, you know, we might have a briefing or we uh, might explore, um, you know, any interest in coming to a joint resolution of this this matter. But we'll see. Uh, But obviously we we have a client who was wronged and we intend to press her claim. Right. And And, and one of the lovely things about our client is that she has said all along that She's really in this to make things better for other people in the future, and she already has with yeah. with the result uh, from the Fourth Circuit here. Exactly, because um, you know these they defendants love to get out on this sort of thing, right? They don't have to do any discovery. They don't have to get any produce anything. You don't have to get any emails going back and forth saying, "Oh, we're really going to get this person for this reason or that reason." All the all the stuff that comes out once you get going. So they love this kind and of thing. Case, so it's very nice to get around it. And in this case, they particularly don't want any discovery because one of the footnotes, which we one of the reasons we took this case, and one of the footnotes in the Fourth Circuit opinion mentions that the policy under which our client was found liable did not exist at the time her relationship existed. So it was very much of an ex post facto thing. And so that's another issue that once we get there, we'll, we'll press it. You mean there's, there's some things on our client's side of the ledger too? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. The, the, fact, the fact that they said, ah, we like this rule that we put in later when you weren't doing the thing we're, we're uh, 
challenging you on. So we like that new rule better. We're going to use it again. But I couldn't have seen the new rule. Tough, you know. Well, anyways, uh, Greg. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Um, It was, uh, we we, we have to say, though, I think we did mention at the time, the argument went very well. The opinions went very well. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Thanks.